Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Father, thank you for your presence here this morning. Have your way among us. Move mightily by your Spirit and accomplish your good pleasure in Jesus' name. This morning we're going to talk about offending and being offended. Now, contrary to any rumors that you may have heard previously, I'm not going to try and instruct you how to be offensive or how to offend people. (laughs) Uh, I think most of us got pretty good at that at a young age and have managed to perfect it over the years. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I tear away any and all blinding and deception of the enemy regarding offending and being offended. I call upon you, Father, to grant us your light, knowledge, wisdom, revelation, understanding, and truth concerning this matter. Cause us to hear your words today in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Well, there's several categories of committing offenses. First one is to commit offenses against man. And what that Hebrew word means is to miss the mark or miss the standard or to sin against, at least in that person's eyes or their opinion. And normally there are consequences with offending someone. Let's take a look at uh, Genesis 40, starting with verse 1. What you didn't want to do, especially in the Old Testament times, was to offend the king. That was not a good thing to do. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt, who was the Pharaoh, and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Now, in order to offend the Pharaoh or the king, you didn't have to do some great thing. You didn't have to accidentally knock some poison in the food and the king's uh, taste tester died when he tested it, you know, and you got in big trouble. It could be something just as simple as you got part of an eggshell in his pastry and the king was the one who got that pastry and he crunched down on it. Something like that, as simple as that, could offend the king, and he had absolute power virtually to uh, punish you. And any consequences from offending man is normally in the form of punishment. It may or may not have some correlation to uh, whatever the offense was. So the butler and the baker offended the king uh, or Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was angry against his two officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. Now, it could be the the baker on his first day that offended Pharaoh. And who's responsible? Well, the chief. He's, He's the one that's responsible for all the bakers. So they got in trouble. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. Now, Joseph was in prison here because he was falsely accused. And the captain of the guard uh, uh, appointed Joseph 
to watch over them and minister to them. And they continued in custody for a season. And they both dreamed a dream, each man uh, in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, and the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in prison. And Joseph came in the next morning and looked at them and noticed they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the uh, custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why are you looking so sad today? And they said to him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter. And Joseph said to them, Interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dream. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and in the vine were three branches. And it was though the branches budded, and the blossoms shot forth, and the clusters uh, brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup to Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of your dream. The three branches are three days. Within three days shall Pharaoh lift up your head and restore you into your original place. And you shall deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand uh, like you did in the past when you were his butler. But remember me uh, when all is well with you and show kindness, I ask you, to me. And make mention of me to Pharaoh and bring me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away out of my land of the Hebrews. And here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he eagerly said to Joseph, I also was in my dream. And behold, I had three white baskets upon my head. And in the upper basket... Uh, there was all manner of uh, bakery goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of your dream. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and shall hang you on a tree, and the birds shall eat your flesh from off of you. And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all the servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker according to Joseph's interpretation. However, the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot about him. So you can see there were consequences for offending uh, the king. Let's look at another instance over in Jeremiah 37, verse 1. And King Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, reigned instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord, which he spoke by the prophet Jeremiah. And Zedekiah the king sent Jehuchel, the son of Shelemiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Maasiah, the priest, to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, 
Pray now uh, to the Lord our God for us. Jeremiah came in and went out among the people, for they had not yet put him in prison. Then Pharaoh's army came forth out of Egypt, and when the Chaldeans that besieged Jerusalem heard tidings of them, they departed from Jerusalem. Then came the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, This is what you shall say to the king of Judah that sent you to inquire of me. Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come forth to help you, shall return to Egypt unto their own land. And the Chaldeans shall return and fight against this city and take it and burn it with fire. Thus says the Lord, do not deceive yourselves, saying the Chaldeans shall surely depart from us, for they shall not depart. For though you had smitten the whole army of the Chaldeans that fight against you, and there remain but wounded men left, uh, yet they should rise up every man and burn this city with fire. And it came to pass that when the army of the Chaldeans was broken up from Jerusalem for fear of Pharaoh's army, then Jeremiah went forth out of Jerusalem to go into the land of Benjamin to separate himself from the midst of the people. And when he was in the gate of Benjamin, a captain of the ward was there, whose name was Arijah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Hananiah. He took Jer Jeremiah the prophet, saying, You are defecting to the Chaldeans. And Jeremiah said, That is false. It's not true. I am not defecting to the Chaldeans. But he did not listen to Jeremiah. So Arijah took Jeremiah and brought him to the princes. Therefore, the princes were angry with Jeremiah and uh, smote him and put him in prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe, for they had made that the prison. When Jeremiah was entered into the dungeon and into the cabins, uh, Jeremiah had remained there many days. So you can see Jeremiah did nothing here, but in the eyes of the uh, king, he was defecting. So there was punishment. Uh, Let's look at Proverbs 23, 1 and 2. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, and the literal Hebrew is one in dominion, could be a king, could be your boss, could somebody, be somebody that has authority over you. So when you sit down with that ruler, diligently consider what's in front of you and put a knife to your throat if you're a man given to appetite or desires. Uh, what that's saying is uh, have wisdom. Be cautious when you're in the presence of someone that has authority over you. Take care that you don't offend that person because any offense may not be dealt with justly. You may be punished unjustly. So, you know, that goes for your boss, a ruler, anybody that could exercise authority over you. There's another category here, and it's committing offense against God. And what that means, the Hebrew, means to be guilty or at fault. And there's always consequences there. The consequences here are not so much punishment, they're more correction. Because God is not interested in punishing His people. He's interested in correcting. 
adjusting their behavior. For us, he wants us to show forth the character of Christ. And so that's, that's what God's uh, correction is. It always looks toward uh, change to the better. Let's look at Second Chronicles 28. Starting with verse 1. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 16 years in Jerusalem. But he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and made also molten images for Balaam. Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burnt his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He sacrificed also and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Therefore, the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria, and they smote him and carried away a great multitude uh, captives and brought them to Damascus. And he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who uh, smote him or defeated him with a great slaughter. For Pekah the son of Remaliah slew in Judah 120,000 in one day. That's a pretty massive slaughter. All of these warriors were valiant men, and it happened because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. And Zikr. Uh, Zikri, a mighty man of uh, Ephraim, slew Maasiah, the king's son, and Azricam, the governor of the house, and Elkanah, that was next to the king. And the children of Israel carried away captive of their brothers 200,000 women, uh, sons, and daughters, and took away also much spoil from them, and brought the spoil to Samaria." But a prophet of the Lord was there whose name was Oded, and he went out before the host and came to Samaria and said to them, Behold, because the Lord God of your fathers was angry with Judah, he has, he has delivered them into, the hand of, uh, into your hand, and you have slain them in a rage that has reached up to heaven. And now you intend to keep, on, uh, keep the children of Israel and, uh, of Judah and Jerusalem for slaves men and women slaves to you, but are they not uh, here with you, even with you, uh, sins against the Lord your God? Now hear me therefore and deliver the captives again, which you have taken of your brothers, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. Then certain of the heads of the children of Ephraim, Azariah the son of Jehonan, uh, Barakiah the son of Meshilamoth, and Jehizkiah the son of Shalom, and Amasa the son of Hadliah stood up against them and came from the war. And they said to them, You shall not bring the captives into this city, for beforehand you offended, against, you offended the Lord. Do you intend to add more to our sins and our trespasses? For our trespass is great, and fierce is a wrath against Israel." So we see that offending the Lord, which is really sinning, trespassing against, 
not being obedient to his word brings consequences. And the consequences were meant to turn the hearts back to him. And that's always the, uh, the case. Let's look at uh, Hosea 13. Starting with verse 1. When Ephraim spoke trembling, he was exalted in Israel. But when he offended in Baal, he died. And we can, could continue on with that story, but again, there are consequences. Let's look at Job 34, verses 31 and 32. Surely it is proper to be said uh, to God. And this is verses 31 and 32 of uh, Job 34. I have borne my correction. I will not offend anymore. That which I do not teach, uh, that which I uh, see, you teach me. If I have done iniquity, I will do it no more. So basically... Job is saying, I've been corrected. I've seen the error of my ways. God has shown me, and I will walk in those paths. In the New Testament, the word for offenses means to stumble or to uh, trip up. So if we offend somebody, we cause them to stumble or trip. Let's, let's, these are the instructions that God gives regarding committing offenses. Look at 1 Corinthians 8, starting with verse 4. Concerning, therefore... The eating of things uh, that are offered in sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in this world and that there is no other God but one. For, for though there are many that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, and there are many gods and many lords in this category, but to us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, we uh, for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. However, there is not in every man that knowledge. For some, uh, because of their conscience, uh, cannot eat uh, something offered to an idol, because their conscience is weak, and they are defiled, or they are offended. But meat does not make us any better before God if we eat it, nor does it make us any worse if we abstain. But be careful, lest by any means this liberty, or this freedom, 
or this knowledge that you have becomes a stumbling block to those that are weak or stumbles those that are weak. For if any man sees you who have your knowledge sit at meat in the temple of the idol, his conscience, which is weak, will uh, be uh, made bold to eat those things which are offered to idols. Then once he has eaten those, his conscience condemns him and he perishes, that person for whom Christ died. But when you sin in such a manner against your brothers and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. What shall I do then, brothers? If meat offered to idols causes my brother to be offended, I will not eat of it while the world uh, moves on so that I do not offend my brother. So God's instructions to us regarding committing offenses is if we have liberty, if we have freedom to either do this or do that, and we know that doing this, even though God gives us the freedom to do that, but we know that doing it, some of the people that are not walking in that light, that do not have that truth, will be offended and will stumble, then God says, do not use your freedom to stumble your brothers. And we've seen that in the past where people have been offended in churches and at times it causes them to totally disfellowship themselves, to totally leave and depart the fellowship. And they become easy prey for Satan when that happens. And whose fault is it? It's a person that has that knowledge but does not restrain themselves from using that knowledge to offend their brothers. Let's look at Romans 14.21. It is good neither to eat meat, nor to drink wine, nor to do anything that you have freedom to do, whereby your brother is stumbled, is offended, or is made weak. There's three things that can happen and none of them are good. He stumbles and falls. Okay, maybe he decides, oh, it must be okay to uh, eat that meat. Eats it, his conscience condemns him, and he's condemned before the Lord. Okay, uh, next thing, he's offended, breaks fellowship. Uh, when a person is offended, what happens is they get angry, they get bitter, and they have an unforgiving spirit. Okay, and then the third thing, they're made weak. Rather than being strengthened in the faith by those actions, they're weakened in the faith. God says, don't do any of those things. Let's look at Matthew 5, 23 and 24.
Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, what would that be? Well, offending, stumbling, causing it to become weak. Leave your gift before the altar. Go and first be reconciled to your brother, then come back and offer your gift. Let's look at Matthew 10, 16. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Behold, I am sending you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. When we're harmless as doves, we do not offend people. How can we do that? Well, that's the first part that comes right before it. Be wise as serpents. We need the wisdom of God in order to not be offensive to people. And Father, we ask for your wisdom right now to be upon each of us. Show us the paths, show us the ways to walk, show us the words to speak in the mighty name of Jesus. Okay, let's look at uh, Proverbs 23, 23. That is not the uh, verse that I wanted. It basically says uh, the verse that I wanted. Uh, actually, no, that's, that's later on. Never mind. Now, talking about offense, Jesus offended. Okay? Let's look at John 8, 29. This is Jesus speaking. He that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Jesus always walked in the Spirit, so he never sinned. He never did anything wrong. With that in mind, let's look at Matthew 13, 57.
This is when Jesus goes back to his home country and he speaks in the synagogue. And uh, verse 57, and his countrymen were offended in him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own household. But Jesus never went back and apologized for offending his countrymen. Why? Because what he said, he said in the Spirit of God. He said exactly what God told him to say. Okay, let's look at Matthew 15, 12. Okay, Jesus is talking to the multitude. And uh, verse 12, Then his disciples came to him and said, Do you not know that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this teaching? Okay, Jesus offended the Pharisees. However, he never went and apologized. He never went and said, I'm sorry I offended you. Forgive me for offending you. Because he was speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. John 6.61 When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at this saying, he said to them, does this saying offend you? Uh, Things like that did not concern Jesus because he was always in the spirit. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yes, and all that choose to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's because as we're, even as we're walking in the Spirit, there are people we will offend. And they will not like it, and they will persecute us for our godly lifestyle. When we are walking in the flesh and we offend people, that's when we need to make it right. If we're walking in the Spirit and people become offended, then we'll let God take care of that. We don't need to be concerned with it or deal with it. If God wants us to say something more, He will give us the words. Our hope and our trust is in Him. Okay, let's look at the other side of the coin, the flip side of the coin. Rather than offending people, it's the issue of being offended. Let's look at Psalm 119, 165. This is a, a really good verse. If you don't have it underlined, you might want to underline it. Great peace have those who love your words, and nothing shall offend them. The root word there in Hebrew is nothing shall uh, be a stumbling block to them. Nothing. The word peace there is the Hebrew word shalom. 
The only time we can have great peace, great shalom, is when we have God's shalom. Okay, God's shalom speaks of all the blessings and benefits of God. It's not just peace, it's more than peace. It encompasses all the benefits of God. So, those that love God's word have all the benefits of God. And nothing shall stumble them. When, some, when we allow, when we choose to allow something to stumble us, we forfeit some of God's shalom. We don't have the greatness of God's shalom when we allow things to offend us. It's best for us not to be offended at anything. Let's look at Matthew eleven six. This is Jesus speaking, and he said, Blessed is the person that shall not be offended by me. If we are offended by anything that our Lord says to us, it's going to greatly affect our salvation. And by that, I don't mean our eternal life. I mean the benefits of God. We're going to cut ourselves off from some of, some of God's benefits by being offended. What does that mean? Well, we're offended. We get bitter. We get angry at the person. And we go, I'm going to make them pay. And we allow bitterness to reign in our life rather than the Lord our God. Let's look at John 16.1. Again, Jesus speaking. These things I have spoken to you so that you should not be offended. Jesus' teachings encompass the principle of us not being offended by anything. Let's look at Romans 12, 19. Dearly beloved, do not offend yourself, avenge yourselves, but rather give up and do not hold on to wrath and anger. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So what's the proper response when something happens, when somebody does something to you that you could easily take offense at, you could easily allow it to disturb your peace? God, I'm going to turn that over to you. I'm so angry with that person right now that I can't deal in a godly manner with them. So I'm going to let you deal with it, and I'm not going to let it concern me anymore. It's up to you, Lord. I'm going to hand it over to you. That's the teaching. God doesn't want us to take our own revenge. And when we get angry and bitter and hold on to grudges, we're trying to take our own revenge. We're not allowing God. God is the only one that can deal in the proper manner with whatever happened. And He will do it if we allow Him rather than trying to do it ourselves. 
Let's look at Matthew 5.44. But I say to you, love your enemies, and that's the Greek word, Agapeo, which means be committed and be committed to your enemies for their best. Do those things to your enemies that are best for them. Bless those that curse you. What's the natural response? You're going to curse me? Boy, I'm going to let you have it. I'm going to curse you right back. That's not God's instructions, so I bless you in the name of Jesus. That's what God says to do. Blessing. Do good to those that hate you. Well, we want to make them pay. We want to exact our own revenge. That's not God's way. If we do not follow God's principles, we will suffer loss. It's as simple as that. If we follow God's principles, we will be blessed in our going and in our doing. We will have God's favor rest upon us. There is no better way. There is no other way for the follower of God. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for them. God, reveal your goodness to them. God, reveal more of yourself to them. God, draw them to you. Open their eyes. Stand against the work of the enemy in their lives. Let's turn to Matthew 18, verse 23. This is a uh, really good teaching that I'm sure you all have heard before. It's a real good parable. And we're going to start with uh, verse 23. This is the parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king who took account of his servants. And when he had begun to uh, take the account, a servant was brought to him that only in 10,000 talents. And this is the equivalent of about $10 million dollars. So the servants brought in, and it stated, you owe the king $10 million. What are you going to do about it? Obviously, he's not going to say, well, I'm going to reach in my pocket here, pull out my wallet, and just count out 10 $1 million bills. Not going, to happen. not going to happen to me, I'll tell you. Okay? But... Since the uh, servant did not have enough money to pay, his Lord commanded that he be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. This is kind of like going into bankruptcy. Okay, you don't have that much money? We're going to take everything you have. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay you every cent. 
the Lord would have to have patience for him for hundreds of years for him to pay back $10 million. He's not going to pay it back next month. The Lord of that, verse 27, the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and forgave him the entire debt. He wiped the slate clean. You don't owe me anything. It wasn't they said, well, you know, like the IRS, you can go to the IRS and you can bargain with them and, you know, you owe them $50,000 and they may say, okay, we'll settle for $9,000. You know, it wasn't this, you owe me $10 million? You don't owe me anything. You're debt free. Verse 28. However, the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants that owed him a hundred pence. This is like about 20 bucks. This is nothing in comparison to $10 million. Okay. You owe me 20 bucks. Okay. So he uh, grabbed him, took him by the throat and said, pay me what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Well, he's got a much better chance of paying this guy 20 bucks than the other guy did of paying his uh, Lord $10 million. He might have a chance of doing it in fairly quick time. So have patience with me and I will pay you everything. But he would not. But he went down and cast him in prison until the debt should be paid. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told the Lord all that was done. Now notice what happens. Then the Lord called the servant back and said to him, You are a wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt that you owed me only because you asked me to. Shouldn't you also have had the same compassion on your fellow servant, even as I had compassion on you? And his Lord was angry. Notice what doesn't happen. It doesn't say, and his Lord was angry and required him to pay back the $10 million. It doesn't say that at all. Because the Lord has forgiven the debt, the debt is forgiven. It's the same thing as God. When He forgives our sins, He never brings them up again. They're wiped clean. He remembers them no more, which means He never uses what we've done in the past, our wrongs against us. He says, totally forgiven, wiped clean, no guilt. But notice what happens. Verse 34, And his Lord was angry over what had happened and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due. Okay, what was due was not the money. What was due was the mercy, the compassion, the forgiveness. So the tormentors were given permission to torment him from that time on until he forgave that person that asked him. This is God's principle for us in our lives. Forgiveness. God has forgiven us 
$10 million and more of debt that we owe him. Can we not find it in our hearts to forgive our brothers and our sisters the measly $20 of debt or the $1 of debt or the nickel or the penny of debt? Do we want to clutch it and hold it and allow Satan to have access to torment us? And in that torment, we lose that peace that God has given us. We don't have what God intended for us to have in our lives. Verse 35, and here's the spiritual law. Here's the spiritual principle. So in the same manner shall our Heavenly Father do also to us if we from our hearts do not forgive our brothers their trespasses. That's pretty clear instruction. There's no ambiguity. And as we think back, Father, I ask you to bring to mind those things that we are still holding on to, where people have hurt us. Remind us of those people that hurt us in the past, Father, that did things that it still makes us angry when we think about it. We, we have a hard time getting past that. And so, Father, today, we want to make that choice. We want to come in alignment and into agreement with you. And we want to make that choice to forgive, not because we feel like it, because it's your instruction, it's your command to us. And so we come into alignment with you, and we forgive that person that hurt us that hurt us so deeply, either by what they spoke about to us, what they did to us. We forgive them because we want to enter into the fullness of your great salvation. We want your shalom to rest upon us. We want your favor to go before us. We want that protection from the enemy. We do not want, we do not choose to give Satan ground in our lives. We choose not to be offended. That's a choice we can make. So Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the things you have taught us. Father, cause us to be wise as serpents and harmless in doves as we walk through life. Cause us to hear from you. Cause us to seek your counsel. And Father, I pray that you would cause us to make things right and to forgive those people that have, uh, we have allowed to offend us in the past. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to have our teams up here this morning to minister, to pray for needs, to give a word of counsel or encouragement. And I would encourage you, if God has reminded you of something you're still holding on to, or someone has hurt you, come on up. Talk with me, and I'll tell you how to maintain that forgiveness. Because there is also a skill to maintaining that uh, forgiveness. As a matter of fact, before you come up, let me go ahead and tell you right now, in case some of you need to do that, and you've been having trouble doing that. Okay, 
once you make the choice and you forgive that person, and basically it's a simple prayer. Father, I forgive Johnny for taking my lunch money when I was back in sixth grade. And it made me feel frightened, angry, hungry. But you know what, Father? I choose to forgive Johnny for what he did to me. And I'm not going to hold that against him any longer. And I'm going to ask you, Father, to bless Johnny. Bless him in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, minutes, hours, days later, the thought's going to come back into your head. Boy, that rat Johnny, he took my lunch money back in sixth grade. Okay, remember what God tells us to do? He says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's a thought that Satan is shooting into your mind to get you back into bitterness and unforgiveness so he can have ground to operate again in your life. So what's the proper response? The proper response is, yes, that's true. Johnny did hurt me and made me angry. But you know what? I've chosen to forgive Johnny. And I don't hold that against Johnny any longer. So in the name of Jesus, take that thought and get out of here. I refuse it. I reject it. I take it captive in Jesus' name. That is how you go through forgiveness, get rid of bitterness, anger, and hatred, and abide, remain, rest in forgiveness, have the fullness of God's shalom rest upon you, and walk in God's favor. So like I say, you're invited up to the front if you want prayer about anything, counsel about anything, or just a word from the Lord. Go forth and walk in the Spirit, in Jesus' name.